0: abraham lincoln radio studio at the george washington broadcast center jack armstrong and joe getty the armstrong and getty show
1: so you'll remember the story from a couple of weeks ago the lady who works with alligators and alligator bitter on the hand and uh Sucked her into the pool and started spinning around trying to kill her. Yeah. Yeah. Murderous gator. Vicious and and then, bastard. Time to skin. And, and the guy jumped on top of it and saved her life. This was the guy. And I seen it happen. I was like, what what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That's what he was like. And he jumped on the alligator's <laughs> back and helped her get away and like is considered a hero. Well, so the the handler lady, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh she did an interview. And uh, the alligator handler who was bitten during a kid's birthday party. I'd forgotten it was a birthday party. Hey, kids, watch a woman get killed. <laughs> Happy birthday. By an alligator. At a Utah petting zoo last week is speaking out about the incident and clarifying a few things. She chatted with uh, alligator experts, blah, 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 blah. And um, in the hour-long interview, she wanted to make sure people realized that, contrary to some reports, she was not pulled into the enclosure. Uh, during a feeding presentation at the party, she said the eight foot reptile named Darth Gator, that's a really good name for an alligator. Excellent. Darth Gator mistook her left hand for food and clamped down. He was being fed. Something touched his face. So he just bit it. I'm that way. That's just him doing what he does. He's trying to eat saying I was dragged in with it is just outright false. That was a conscious decision. She also gave credit to the hero who we just heard from. Party guest Donnie Wiseman, who bravely jumped on the alligator's back, holding it down while she waited for it to go for a readjust and eventually open its mouth so she could escape.
2: Did she think the guy that gave moral support? Remember the guy?
1: Remember that? Yeah.
2: You you keep going, Donnie. You're doing
1: great. (laughs) Man, if she actually did get in there on purpose and roll with that thing the way it was rolling her to, to save herself, that is some calm reaction to being bit by an alligator.
2: Yeah. Well, that, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. To quote Chris yeah. Rock, that gator went gator. It's a damn gator. Speaking of making your life better,
1: uh, I said earlier on the show, uh, I'd like to have a mild heart attack because I think maybe that would motivate me to work out. <laughs> it's a hell of a I, thing to say. <laughs> I don't have a big heart attack. First of all, it sounds painful and you never know, you know, you get too close to, uh, being on your DB, your deathbed. I don't want that. Um, we did get this text. Do you know how utterly ridiculous you sound saying you need a heart attack to exercise? Hey, Lardass, why don't you just try going for a walk around the block? Stop, stop stuffing your face with every cheeseburger and donut you see. Seriously, why don't you try a salad with some white dressing? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, But we got as many texts on this as anything we ever talk about. And then after I got to thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe that's because every single human being listening deals with this very thing every single day of their life. Maybe that's the reason we got lots of texts about it. By far, the number one response of what got them to finally start working out was a photo. That's the most common.
2: Mm, Um, The unfortunate angle, the candid photo.
1: (laughs) Let me read through some of these, though. Uh, A couple of things got me to quit drinking and get to the gym. Watching my stepfather pass from doing much of one and none of the other. Belt reaching the last notch and a side view of myself in the mirror. Oh, the old side view in the mirror. Uh, Dear Armstrong and Getty. Instead of a small heart attack to get in shape, maybe you should just imagine a little girl physically dominating you. <laughs>
2: oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> uh, Sam ow, from the ow, Bay Area. Stop hitting me! Ow! Sam from the you're Bay Area. You're gonna take wrote it, I- and you're gonna like it. <laughs> Got a little sundress going. Right, Spin she beats me up me and right takes in the, right in the junk. Oh, <laughs>
1: takes my Starbucks money away from me and says, "I'll be back tomorrow."
2: <laughs> uh,
1: understand the needing a life altering injury illness to wake up and exercise. I've been trying for fifteen years to lose weight. Start of the year, I dislocated my knee, tore my ACL, PCL, LCL. I don't even know what all those things are. Three muscles and lots of damage. I've managed to lose forty five pounds since my injury. Um. So it's basically they, wow. they they didn't have a mild heart attack, but they had another physical, you know, your body saying, all right,
2: you know, kind of warned you for a long time. We're giving out on you. you going to do something about this or not? Well, you know what? I happen to know what all those tendons are, and, and I can picture the injury that would cause them. So, Jack, we're going to need you to put your upper leg in a vice. All right. <laughs> this is this is going to hurt, but it'll just last uh- a second or two. I lost 30 pounds fairly
1: recently. I always used to be the smallest friend in my group. I think this is obviously a woman. I used to be the smallest friend in my group, and then I saw a picture of us girls together, and I was the largest girl in the group, and it motivated me to make a change. So another seeing a picture of yourself. I knew I was overweight, but I saw a photo of myself three months ago and wondered who the obese man was in the corner and realized it was me. Erg. Been back at the gym gym ever since.
2: Uh, Down 30 pounds. Wow, this email just came in. This is beautiful. This is the worst advice I've ever heard. Uh, buy only pants and shirts that are slightly too tight. Get oh, rid boy. of any that are loose. Never buy any that are larger. I've held steady for over 30 years by adjusting my eating. Exercise just happens. What does that mean?
1: I don't know what that means. Jack, giving everything going on in your life right now, maybe you need a life coach, not an exercise program. How do you not fire your life coach the first time they tell you to do stuff you don't want to do? <laughs> I think you're too strict. Why don't you get out of here? Or after a month, I still suck. You're fired. Um, I had back surgery and physical therapy because uh, my body gave out on me. So a lot of people. So either seeing a picture of yourself or having your body give out on you. Here's a health tip for Jack. Uh, way too young, hot girlfriend. Use your minor celebrity status to get started. Tell your agent you want to do TV spots. And if you're, and if all else fails, start hanging out with uh, fatter and older friends. (laughs) 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 Hang out with fatter, older people. Feel better about yourself. What motivated me to start exercising almost every single day is my children. We got a couple of those. I have kids. I got young kids and I'm, you know, on, on the older end of being a dad. I should use that as a motivation. Um, here's another one their body gave out on them, so they finally lost weight. I uh, moved into a new house with a mirror on two walls with a 90-degree angle. I didn't know I looked like that. Yeah. It's funny how s- actually seeing what we look like changes so many people's opinions. So we do the front view and probably suck it in a little bit
2: and think, ah, I'm all right. Yeah, I could use a little few pounds, uh, obviously, but uh, I'm okay. Well, and for dudes... You know, most of us carry our weight on the front, so a front view isn't going to show that, but a side view will. You know, for gals, maybe it's a side view, but, you know, the front view, getting a little hippie, or, you know, your uh, your uh, derriere is starting to expand to the east and west. You might notice it from the front, but dudes, yeah, that front view is too easy. I lost my belly and got my college abs back. My college abs weren't much better than my
1: current abs. Um, uh, Sex from my wife increased 10,000 percent. Fact. <laughs> Jack, I'm kind of in your, I'm in your boat. I need a mild to moderate aneurysm. <laughs> Jeez. do forbid. We well, need wood. a wake-up call. You need a wake-up call. As a former personal trainer of five years, I can tell you without a doubt, you will get your ass to the gym by hiring a hot-ass personal trainer. It worked for me, then I quit a job and became a personal trainer. God, the idea of having a hot personal trainer that I, like, kind of fool myself into believing she'd be into me if I got in better shape or something. That just sounds bad well, on a whole bunch of super, different levels.
2: She's super friendly and encouraging and tells me I'm doing great. I think she may be a little hot for me because yeah. I'm in good shape now. I so can see pathetic. how that would work because
1: I, I've known a few personal trainers and they're cute and bubbly and smiley and kind of flirty. And yeah, that that's not that's not what I need. Um, and then the, finally, this one, which I thought was good. How about the concept of avoiding lifelong celibacy? Yeah, that's why I think I'm, I'm headed toward if I don't do something. Um, how about avoiding that by starting to work out? Imagine meeting a new woman your age who's super smart and funny, but also hot and fit. And think of the first time you have to take your shirt off with her when you need motivation to exercise. The future you will thank you today if you've tightened things up a bit. So try to picture somebody and how embarrassing it would be to have to take your shirt off. Is that maybe
2: that's the motivation? Yikes. That's harsh. That's tough love right there. That's the sort of tough love Dr. Phil would give you if you're on his show. I think I'd rather have the mild aneurysm or the heart
1: attack. Oh, jeez. Stop stop saying that, that
2: Knockwood. Do you feel like
1: you've got the ability to affect heart attacks by mocking the the idea? My grandpa died of a heart attack. I don't take it lightly, but. You well, it can't is can't say it,
2: that sort of stuff. It's uh, the universe. It doesn't like it. Have <laughs> you got any uh,
1: advice on what helped you finally, finally do something that you, you keep thinking about all the time? You keep wanting to do, but God, inertia is amazing. Inertia is freaking oh. amazing. Both directions, as we talked about in the fast past, good habits are as hard to break as bad habits. I used to be in the habit of running every day. It was almost impossible for me to not run. It could be raining and cold and I just didn't feel comfortable until I went and did my two mile run. Traveling anytime. I I just, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. And it was so hard. It feels
2: weird, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But then I got out of that good habit and now it's the opposite. And my inertia is. Maybe tomorrow I'll start exercising. Ha, ha, ha. What are you going to do?
0: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty
2: Show. Weird days ahead as we, the United States, are probably going to be... Allies at times with the Taliban.
1: You think we're going to pay that much attention to it? I'm just—I'm not convinced that the story is going to stay in people's consciousness very long, or that we're just going to pay that much attention to it in reality very
3: long.
2: Well, I—I I think that there there may be some uh, blatant enough ooching around by ISIS K and Al Qaeda that uh, that the United States feels it has to do something.
1: Can I reread just a little bit of that thing? From earlier, I had so this is from the Richard Holbrook diaries. Richard Holbrook was a America's leading diplomat for decades and worked under several several different presidents, different administrations. You don't need to know who he is, but his diary came out, and uh, he's talking about Joe Biden back during the Obama administration about Afghanistan. Joe took the position, plain and simple, that we have to get out of Afghanistan. He's making the argument to President Obama and Hillary Clinton, who's Secretary of State at the time. Um, and I was making the argument that women are going to get sent back to the dark ages if we get out of there. Joe Biden said, it ain't going to happen. He said, I don't un- he's He told me that I don't understand politics, says Richard Holbrook, the diplomat. Joe Biden said, you don't understand politics. We're facing a debacle politically. We're going to lose the presidency in 2012 if unemployment remains high in Afghanistan is the other issue that could pull us down. And we have to be on our way out. We have to do what we did in Vietnam. This shocked me, and I commented immediately that I thought we had a certain obligation to the people of, of Afghanistan who had trusted us. Joe Biden said, f*** that. We don't have to worry about that. We did it in Vietnam. Nixon and Kissinger got away with it. Wow. So Mr compassion well maybe this is one of the reasons Clarissa Ward on CNN the other day after Biden's yelling at his speech said uh it would have been nice if he showed some compassion at any point for the Afghans left behind the Americans left behind the people that wanted to get out that they didn't get out the the girls that are gonna have to live under the Taliban if he'd if he'd show a little compassion to that and just always instead of always what's better for us it really is a henry kissinger or donald trump type america first attitude which you know some of us like a lot of that but it was very much no this is what's good for us i'm not even paying attention to the how it's going to be for afghanistan what's best for us long term that he said in the meeting with obama
2: and hillary now you now you've made hanson bleep you twice oh my
1: god i just think that's pretty interesting that that biden went that um, aggressive and saying, I don't care about that. Right. Politically, this is going to be bad for us if we stay.
2: And of late, he hasn't even made like hollow statements of ain't it a shame? He yeah. He won't address it. Oh, interesting. So uh, the relationship going forward could be weird. Uh, I, I think with uh, Pakistan right there, they're a frenemy. That relationship is terrible. You, you could read five books on that. Our relationship with Pakistan um, and the lawless regions and Al Qaeda and ISIS-K and the rest of it. Something tells me we'll have special forces or drones or missiles or whatever going in there at some point, And it might well be in cooperation with the Taliban of all things. Uh, this is a uh, Jen Griffin of Fox News in clip number 50, Michael, if you'd be so kind.
0: For the first time since the last American soldier left Afghanistan, the defense secretary and chairman of the Joint Chiefs faced the press. They took just three questions, including whether they might have to partner with the Taliban in the future.
3: I can tell you uh, from personal experience uh, that this is a ruthless group from the past. And whether or not they change remains to be seen. Uh, And as far as our dealings with them at that airfield, in war, you do what you must in order to reduce risk to mission and force, not what you necessarily want to do. Any possibility of coordination against ISIS-K with them? you think? It's possible.
0: A stunning admission as a result of the new reality on the ground in Afghanistan and the absence of intelligence networks, which had to be rolled up as part of the hasty U.S. withdrawal.
1: I thought that was the kind of honesty we were wanting last week, but you always explained on why they couldn't be honest, because the Taliban still held all the cards and we had so many people there. Him being honest yesterday saying, look, you deal with the reality of what you've got at the moment and what's, you know, best at the time.
2: Right. Yeah, I appreciate it. A couple more clips. Here's uh, Lloyd Austin, the uh, sec def on uh, vets who disagree with policy 51.
4: We shouldn't expect Afghan war veterans to agree any more than any other group of Americans. I've heard strong views from many sides in recent days. And that's vital. That's democracy.
3: That's America.
2: The chairman of the Joint Chiefs then on the fuster clock in uh, the aftermath, 52.
3: How we got to this moment in Afghanistan will be analyzed and studied for years to come. And we in the military will approach this with humility, transparency, and candor. I hope so.
1: Yeah, and and did, did you over the last 20 years, though, the Afghanistan papers... Oh, Lord, no. Would uh, suggest that you didn't uh, deal with it with honesty and clarity and candor.
2: The the opposite. The opposite, with very few exceptions. And uh, finally, this, it struck me when I was watching it, and uh, Jen Griffin thought it was notable 253.
0: Both were asked about lessons learned over two decades at war, how violently it ended with the deaths of 13 U.S. service members.
3: I wasn't born a four-star general. Uh, I have walked the patrols and been blown up and shot at and RPG'd and everything else. This is tough stuff. War is hard. Uh, It's vicious. It's brutal. It's unforgiving. I'm a professional soldier. I'm going to contain my uh, pain and anger and continue to execute my mission.
0: That mission is to get the remaining 100 or so Americans out of Afghanistan, along with U.S. allies, something that the State Department is now the lead on. But it's hard to imagine them getting very far without the Taliban and Delta Force.
2: You know, I'm glad you pointed out, we had like, uh, depending who you ask, like 8,000 people there. We got uh, 5,000 out, so now we have 100 left.
1: Well, more did, than, Wait a minute, there, how there, did that happen? There were twelve to 15,000 Americans. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twelve to 15,000 Americans. We got out whatever they claimed, 7,000,
2: and now there are 200 left. So that leaves 200. What do you not get? <laughs> yeah, the math doesn't work on that. Yeah, I went to one of those woke schools where getting the right answer was considered a white supremacist, so I'm perfectly content that we have all the Americans out but two hundred.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't quite know that. I, I hope somebody's looking into it.
0: Armstrong and Getty. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong
2: and Joe Getty. And now, is Armstrong and Getty.
1: I came across this in the Wall Street Journal. This is getting a fair amount of attention, but this is the editorial board's version of how Benjamin Franklin has become a person of concern. Oh. Washington, D.C. also proposes to cancel Washington and Jefferson. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's famous quote, a republic, if you can keep it, uh, did he actually say it or is it apocryphal? It doesn't make any difference. It might as well be true. Uh, but but the idea was. Um, can people govern themselves or will it go the way of a self-governance that always has where you just break into factions and you, it all falls apart and it gets ruined? <laughs> right. Well, the Wall Street Journal is so, sort of making the point that maybe maybe that is the direction we're going. Um, because Benjamin Franklin said it, and he no longer is going to be a founding era uh, person that you're going to be able to see in Washington, D.C. If this new panel in Washington, D.C. gets its way, they've identified Benjamin Franklin, among other founders, as persons of concern and recommended their names be removed
2: from D.C. property. This is straight out of Soviet Russia. I mean, it's they didn't even change the words. I mean, it is straight out of the Politburo.
1: The astonishing proposals come from a Washington, D.C. government committee formed by Mayor Muriel Bowser to Uh, reexamine the names of schools, statues, and parks in the wake of protests.
2: This chick doesn't get enough attention for being
1: awful. The committee submitted its report Monday, and Ms. Bowser um, uh, passed it along to the next step of of it happening. The committee says it hunted for historical figures with key disqualifying histories, including participation in slavery, Systemic racism, mistreatment of or actions that suppressed equality for persons of color, women and LGBTQ
2: communities. So uh, Franklin was tough on the transgenders, huh? Yeah, sure. Right.
1: So the founding fathers weren't open minded enough about uh, gay by
2: trans uh, rights. Yeah, I'm sure they weren't. And neither would you have been if you lived then, you lying liar.
1: And there was hardly anybody else in the world. I mean, like, talking 99% here. Oh, at least. At least. I'm, you know, being charitable. I mean, if you're going to include that in there, you, you're not going to be able to have anybody's name on anything that that existed prior to, like,
2: 2010. I mean, like, oh, nobody.
1: I mean, Barack Obama Barack Obama's ran out. He ran on marriages between a man and a woman. Yep. So Hillary
2: Clinton, out, canceled, canceled. Come on, Michael, what are we paying you for in there? What anyway, are you doing? You flipping through a comic book? If, uh, if you if
1: your life, <laughs> if your life and attitudes uh, weren't on the right side of slavery, systemic racism, mistreatment over actions that suppressed equality for persons of color, women, and LGBTQ communities, you have violated the DC Human Rights Act.
2: I hate to sound like the racist, anti-racist lunatics, but you're either with these people or you have to come off the sidelines and fight this stuff, folks. In your schools, in your town, at your city council, you have to be willing to stand up.
1: You compared it to Soviet uh, Russia. I still think it reminds me more of the French Revolution since I've been doing a lot about reading about that, particularly this part. The bureaucrats worked with uncharacteristic dispatch, taking six weeks to render the judgment of history on 1330 properties named for people. That's what's so French Revolution style is it's just the fever. It's just the the excitement in the air. People are in the park, people in the streets. We're going to do something big and we're going to do it right now. Yeah. Without calming down for a second. Right. And it's moving so fast and everybody's got such a head of steam that nobody's got the guts to stop them. As I've been saying over and over, uh, people who study this sort of thing think it only takes like 15% of worked-up revolutionaries to get a revolution going. Mm -hmm. you got a whole bunch of other people who are scared, who kind of agree but think you're going too far. you got a bunch of people who don't agree but are afraid they're going to get run over and lose their jobs or their heads if they get in the way. Right. And it it doesn't take that many people to to, uh, do a lot of damage. The committee wants the Franklin School Historic Landmark renamed and recommends that D.C. petition the federal government to remove, relocate, and contextualize a federally owned Franklin statue. Actually, this article starts with a big picture picture of Benjamin Franklin that's up in the halls of the Senate, right, where everybody walks into the chamber. Right, yeah. It, recommend, it offers the same recommendation for the federal Washington Monument. Yeah, the big one, the big white one. We need one. to
2: contextualize that. Yes, yes.
1: Some other school names the committee wants scrubbed. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, the... Uh, Francis Scott Key, author of the Star-Spangled Banner; Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone; James Monroe, who negotiated the Louisiana Purchase and was our fifth president.
2: Um, well, if you're going to include that whole nut job list of they were not kind of LGBTQ yeah. people, you like got to get rid of Madison then and, well, and Adams. Well, like and, I said,
1: probably everybody whose thinking is prior to 2010,
2: right? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, except for a tiny cabal of activists, and you can probably find something they said that isn't uh, up to the current politically correct lingo, and cancel them as well. I'm sure you Couchy. could oh, That's right.
1: I'm sure you could find something with the, the 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 Kennedys, Bobby or or John, saying something unkind about. Oh, hundred percent. You know, trans or gay marriage or something like that. I'm sure well, you could.
2: Well, how about during the civil rights era, the stuff that uh, the Kennedys said? About uh, various civil rights leaders. I mean, by today's standards, it's utterly unacceptable. So they're they're canceled too. You might be able to keep I don't know like Millard Fillmore around, or there might be God, some I doubt it. Only oh, a... no, no, it's impossible. Every si- well, and listen, I, I I realize this starts to sound um like uh, in the weeds, paranoid, but erasing history is one of the key aspects of imposing Marxism. There is no history but the present, and the party is the present. It's, it's part of how they do it.
1: The editorial board in the, in the Wall Street Journal ends with this. Um, is Biden going to be uh, asked by anybody to comment on this, and will he stand up for the people who created this country? I don't know. I don't know how he'd answer that question. He's trying to avoid having to
2: answer any of these questions. Yeah. But he is the standard bearer for the left currently. and right. Yeah, it's a little frustrating, although whether it's the situation in Oregon where the sheriff's departments are saying, no, we're not going to help you out, Portland, until you start prosecuting people. Or, you know, there are a number of developments that give me a little bit of hope. There's a piece getting a fair amount of attention. Was it originally in the uh, Atlantic or I'm not sure. Yeah, the Atlantic. John McWhorter wrote it. Um, Academics are really, really worried about their freedom is the headline so
1: lefty academics
2: yeah yeah exactly and so the the trends that we've been saying are going to lead to real ugliness and we need to oppose them they've gotten ugly and crazy enough that even that group of people jack you were describing who are kind of sympathetic would think those people are a little nuts um they're starting to stand up so we were talking i don't know if the, the sane will win the day but at least They're starting to stand up.
1: We were talking about James Lindsay last hour. And if you're not into his act, man, you got to get into it and learn all. He is he is the best in America. He is there need to be statues to him someday if he's able to turn this around. He is working tirelessly as he considers himself the number one expert on wokeism in America. And I'm sure he is. And he's writing books and doing videos and speaking anywhere he's allowed to speak and explaining all this to people. But anyway, his plan is, and I think this is a great idea, you have to get people on the record of what is too far. And you have to do it right now because we're screaming these directions so fast. If you get Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden, somebody on the record saying, no, the Washington Monument would be too far. Yes. Then when this happens, you you know, it's, it's not going <laughs> to... Because incrementally, we keep going farther, and then by the time it gets there, the politicians don't have
2: the courage to stand up to it. Right. Yeah, it would be good to get people on the record for that sort of thing, and there are all sorts of you know areas you could, you a- could ask them ask about. Ask all
1: people of power, what's too far? Where's your line?
2: I remember the march through a neighborhood in Seattle where the, uh, the BLM lunatics were screaming at people, give up your house, give your house to a black person. Get the uh, politicians on the record. Do you think white people should be forcibly evicted from their homes for the sin of being white? It might be a rather long list of things. We'll have to have them uh, go on the record, but I like the idea. I'm looking forward to reading that book. We're going to do a podcast review of it. Uh, Jack and I and uh, Craig Gottwalls and Tim Sandifer at some point. I need a deadline. I, we have to figure out when we're going to do the podcast i work better with deadlines myself yeah yeah and i'm just uh i'm in a particular uh, period of self-pity and lethargy right now so really, I really need, self-pity
1: yeah. and lethargy yeah well you get those together that's a good stew of not getting stuff done oh yeah yeah it's terrible but um <laughs> it's yeah. uh yeah i've been there where it's, uh, it's 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 difficult to do hardly anything really
2: yeah yeah i wouldn't call it like clinical depression or anything. It's just. I keep this stuff keeps breaking and I can't do any of my hobbies. And so I'm trying. I got to find something new to do. And I don't know what. Maybe you feel I'll your soul being crushed yet. It's a bit of a soul crushing thing, but I don't have problems compared to people with real problems. So, again, I'm trying not to whine too much, but it's it's frustrating.
1: Juggling. Have You taken up juggling.
2: I, I have tried juggling. I am uniquely terrible at it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't seem to be good at it, but uh, I'd like to get back to fly fishing. I haven't fished in a long a time. It's a good one. It is a good one. So much gear, though, and uh, water. I don't know. <laughs> and the uh, fish. And the fish, just slimy I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Armstrong
0: and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: I'm just going to read chunks that Sean nicely highlighted from this article in Slate by someone named Juka Sullivanine or something um, with two of leanings because um, uh, this is really well written. And it is about the secret of happiness. And, you know, wait for it. It gets to it here uh, after a bunch of different stuff. I don't know how you pronounce H.Y.G.G.E. Are you familiar with that word? It's a Nordic I am not, term. I'm sir. I I'll, am not. I'll call it hygie. Is hygie still a thing? The Danish concept of comfortable conviviality and all things cozy is supposed to capture the essence of Danish culture and has been marketed as the secret for happy living. Uh, the Danes are regularly named the happiest people in the world when they do those studies.
4: I got, have the pronunciation of that word if you would like. Okay. Huga. Huga? Huga.
1: Huga, okay. Huga. A few years back, there was a surge of HUGA-related books, articles, and household products. Journalists from around the world were touring Denmark to document various aspects of this unique lifestyle. The enthusiasm around Denmark was stimulated by the nation's reputation of being the happiest country in the world. Whoa! Been hearing that for years. We've been doing that list. Marshall used to do that list every uh, two weeks. Who's uh, the happiest <laughs> country in the world? Um, if there has been a downturn in the HUGA in- industry in recent years, it may be because of Finland which was Marshall's home country. Hmm. Uh, which has now surpassed Denmark in the World Happiness Report 4 years running. The happiest country in the world is Finland.
2: More or less spending next spending time in the sauna.
1: The Finnish spiritual equivalent of huigi is something far less convivial and more and much more difficult to pronounce
2: it's kultserkum or not. I wouldn't even try. I knew a guy from Finland, the letters don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> 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 which translates
1: as pants
2: drunk. Yes. Yes. And refers. I, I've been there.
1: And refers to the practice of binge drinking home alone in your underpants.
4: <laughs> I call it
2: Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have as complicated a name for it. It's called a Thursday. If you're binge drinking at home alone in sweats, you are just pretentious. I almost want to figure. Drunk.
1: I almost want to figure out how to say this word so I can throw it around for the rest of my life. It's the <laughs> Finnish word for pants drunk. <laughs> you know, when you sit around binge drinking in your underpants. <laughs> anyway, it's nice that they have a word for that. Where
2: is this going?
1: I know you would think so, but it is going somewhere. Nobody okay. is more skeptical than the Finns about the na- the notion that we are the world's happiest people. This is written by a Finn. This is where it gets interesting. When a cabinet member of the Finnish government was introduced at an international conference recently, the representative of the happiest country in the world... He responded, if that's true, I'd hate to see the other
4: countries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Love it. The World Happiness Report, the annual study responsible for these rankings, does not pay any attention to smiles, laughter, or other outward expressions of joy. Instead, the report relies on Gallup polls, which ask respondents to imagine a ladder. Do this yourself right now. Imagine a ladder with steps numbered from zero to ten. The top rung... 10 represents the best possible life. If you stand on the top rung, you're going to fall and break your neck, and you will no longer be happy. But let's <laughs> put that aside. There's a the warning
4: right at the top of the ladder. Yeah. It tells
1: right. It. right, right. Uh, the top rung 10 represents the best possible life for you, while the bottom rung 0 represents the worst. The survey participants are then instructed to report the number that corresponds with the rung in which they are currently standing. In other words, you're deemed happy if your actual life circumstances approximate your highest expectations. Interesting. Compared with most other countries, objective living circumstances in Finland are very good. But there is more to the story. We should not ignore expectations. Right. Right. Consistent with their Lutheran heritage, the Nordic countries are united in their embrace of curbed aspirations for the best possible life. This mentality is famously captured in the Law of Jante, a set of commandments believed to capture something essential about the Nordic disposition to personal success. You're not to think you're anything special. You're not to imagine yourself better than we are. You're not to think you're good at anything, which in America we would see as uh, a terrible thing, a terrible attitude. Child abuse. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's practically uh, a mental illness. It's shaming. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's something horrifying. The Nordic countries embrace a cultural orientation that sets realistic limits to one's expectations for a good life. In these societies, the imaginary 10-step ladder is not as high. The first rung is pretty high up and the distance between the steps is relatively short. So yes, I do think culture matters a great deal to understanding why countries like Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden score so high in this particular indicator of happiness But the relevant cultural characteristic is neither huigi nor, unfortunately, uh, that, that word for pants drunk. If I had to pick a Scandinavian word to capture the correct cultural ingredient in Nordic happiness, it would probably be the Swedish and Norwegian term lagom or lagum which can be translated as just the right amount. Lagom is frequently thought to capture the essence of Swedish culture, its embracement of modesty and rejection of excess. In terms of expectations for a good life, Lagom encourages uh, contentment with the life's bare necessities. If you have those, you have nothing to complain about, ergo, you are happy. Wow, culture. That is really interesting. You know, I come from I come from the Midwest and uh, South Dakota originally, which is populated by all those people you're just mentioning. My mom is adopted, we don't, but to almost certainly Scandinavian of some sort. And that is the, the 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 creed of like South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, all those places that that are full of really happy, pleasant people. As uh, is regularly
2: mocked. Yeah, it, you can't swing a lute, Fisk, without hitting a Lutheran. It's just very
1: low expectations for for life, and that y- you know you could. Again, in our modern world, as it comes out of New York City, that's a terrible thing to say. Now you got to shoot for the best to be a star. All these things you forgot to say. But if your expectations are just, you know, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to feed myself, and uh, the family's going to hang out, we're going to do little league and barbecues, that's what we're going to do. That's all that's going to be. You're pretty happy if, that, right. if that's your top rung. You're going to be on it or very close
4: to it. One of my favorite examples that they had in that that story was the they kind of use the americanized version of you parents tell their kids when you grow up you can be president but the the real thing or the 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 key to the the process they're describing when you grow up you could be president of the homeowners association I, right uh, setting <laughs> more realistic simple life the beauty of the simple life goals
1: I, that may, that all makes so much sense to me and it explains everybody that i used to live around in in those states i just mentioned why they yeah. had the, why they had the perfectly happy attitude they have yeah, yeah. Content needs this to be. Is a, this is a thick
2: subject. It's it complicated.
1: The word content needs to be thrown around way more than the word happy.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I, I absolutely get what uh, the author is saying. I see the wisdom in it. I believe it. At the same time, I think mankind needs the unsatisfied the the never satisfied the striving the, the fixated the uh the enthusiastic you know i just i, I think it takes all kinds of, is it because you step outside you're gonna you freeze do... to death in those countries is that what's at work here uh, <laughs> i
1: think you can do both i i think you can have you know as long as i got uh you know i got an okay house okay car and kids everybody's healthy i'm happy i think you can have that and try to invent an airplane i don't think they i don't think they are separated
4: I don't think the Elon Musks of the world are necessarily going to not exist if we stop telling every child they could become president. I would right? agree with that also. I, I think those people, those high octane brains will kind of rise above anyways. And and uh, yeah,
2: that that's my... Yeah, it could be. You know, it's funny. As a kid, I had the classic uh, feeling about, you know, you could grow up to be president and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now that I know much more about the presidency, it sounds like a threat. <laughs> sounds like what you say to them to get them to eat their vegetables.
1: I certainly would think if everybody wants to be uh, a YouTube star or whatever did you want to be, and that's, you know, all the, your goals in life as opposed to just regular run-of-the-mill house on the end of the block you know, with friends. With and friends family and, and, and just yeah, right. that's just what we do. Well, I can understand why one company country would be happy and one would not be not. I don't know.
2: Uh, I think the first thing is a recipe for misery. Your
1: thoughts. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. I thought that was really interesting, and especially learning the Finnish word for pants drunk. Mm, indeed. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Drinking alone in your underpants. Hmm.
0: Armstrong.